BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back to Everyday Einstein's Quick and Dirty Tips for Making Sense of Science. I'm your host, Lee Balin, and today we've got some science Q&A. Nothing's more exciting than getting questions from listeners. And while I generally respond directly to the questioner, this week I wanted to share a few of the more interesting questions I received from my fellow science fans. But first, I want to thank Netflix for sponsoring this week's podcast. Netflix Instant Streaming lets you watch thousands of TV episodes and movies on your PC, Mac, iPad, iPhone, or TV instantly, all streamed to you by Netflix, saving you time, money, and hassle. For your free 30-day trial, go to netflix.com QDT. Our first question comes from Jess. It's been raining a lot where I live lately. The rain has been off and on, alternating between light sprinkles and torrential downpours. So the other day, my girlfriend and I were sitting in my car, waiting for the rain to let up a bit before making a break for it and running inside. While waiting, I was looking at the rain fall on my windshield and observed something. Even with my windshield wipers off, the areas of the windshield outside the range of the windshield wipers would coalesce into droplets on the window, while on the area where the windshield wipers had wiped when they were on, the water didn't coalesce into droplets. It just ran off in a sheet. To my knowledge, the windshield hasn't been treated with anything, especially in any way differentiating the areas of the windshield. So my question is, why doesn't the rain coalesce into droplets uniformly across the whole windshield after using the wipers? Well, generally, when water starts forming droplets like that, it's because it's sitting on some kind of hydrophobic surface, which is preventing it from making hydrogen bonds. Hydrogen bonding is what gives water many of its special qualities, such as being able to form a liquid at room temperature. Most wiper blades are made of rubber, and a few are coated with Teflon, and both rubber and Teflon are hydrophobic, so most likely the wipers are leaving a residue of rubber and or Teflon across the area of the windshield where they pass. This results in that portion of the windshield being partially hydrophobic, which causes the water to beat up since it can't spread out very well. Another listener named Robert asks, where does the sun store its fuel to sustain the fusion process if the fuel's mixed in with all the explosions? When I hear that the sun has enough fuel to continue for another four or five billion years, I picture a partition in which the fuel is slowly metered out. I've watched dozens of shows about the sun, and none of them seems to address where the fuel is stored. Please enlighten me on this. That's actually a great question, Robert. The hydrogen fuel actually sits at the core of the star. The hydrogen atoms bounce around in there until they slam against each other with enough force to cause fusion, turning the hydrogen into helium. Energy is released in this process and travels outwards in the form of light, heat, and other assorted rays, X-rays, gamma rays, etc. However, the gravity of the core, combined with the pressure of the outer layers of the sun pushing down on it, cause almost all of the hydrogen and helium to stay in the core. So, assuming the sun follows the same route as similar stars, eventually the core will start to run out of hydrogen, with fewer collisions resulting in less energy being produced. The pressure inside the core will decrease, allowing the outer layers to compress. There are a few other things that can happen at this point, but eventually the collapsing outer layers cause the pressure and temperature of the core to increase enough 
that the sun will start using helium for fusion, creating heavier elements like carbon. This process repeats a couple of times, resulting in heavier and heavier elements being created with each iteration, until the star eventually dies. Finally, Adam wrote in to ask the following. Why is it that the air appears to be cold when you blow with your lips puckered, but it appears to be warm when you blow with your mouth only slightly more open? It's funny, because I'd never actually noticed that until you mentioned it, Adam. But after some highly scientific research and a few experiments involving repeated hyperventilating and some drinking straws, I think the answer is that either way, when you exhale, puckering or otherwise, the air coming out of your mouth is in fact the same temperature. However, when the faster air comes out of your mouth via puckering, its higher velocity allows it to sweep in the surrounding air along its way. Since the surrounding air is usually cooler than your internal body temperature, the air feels colder. Here are a couple of experiments you can try to see this in action. First, do the pucker slash wide mouth comparison again, but hold your finger as close to your lips as possible. This minimizes the amount of outside air that can be swept up by the higher velocity of the puckered breath. You should notice that the temperature is significantly warmer than when you do the same thing with your finger far away. The other thing you can do is try blowing through a drinking straw, again with your finger close to the straw's opening. Even though you're still using higher velocity air, the breath should feel warmer. This is a hydrodynamic phenomenon, meaning it involves the forces of liquids pushing on each other, called entrainment. When one fluid, whether it's gas or water, sweeps another fluid along in its flow, we say that the first fluid has entrained the second one. If you decide to research this further, I'll warn you that nearly every branch of science uses the word entrainment slightly differently. Once again, I want to thank Netflix for sponsoring this week's podcast. You can watch thousands of TV episodes and movies on your PC, Mac, iPad, iPhone, or TV instantly, all streamed to you by Netflix, saving you time, money, and hassle. You happen to be a fan of science fiction? Netflix streaming has lots of options for you. You can watch past seasons of Supernatural, MI5, Lost, X-Files, Star Trek, Battlestar Galactica, and Buffy the Vampire Slayer, just to name a few. You can also catch one of my personal favorites, Once Upon a Time, where you can see the true story behind lots of popular fairy tales. You can watch these science fiction shows, or check out thousands of other TV series and movies while you're at it during a free 30-day trial. That's a free trial of Netflix Instant Streaming at netflix.com qdt. That's all the questions I have time for this week. If you have a question you'd like to see answered in a future episode, send me an email at everydayeinstein at quickanddirtytips.com or contact me via Twitter or Facebook. Until next time, I'm your host, Lee Phelan, with Everyday Einstein's Quick and Dirty Tips for Making Sense of Science. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.